Welcome to an inspirational teaching by Pastor Victor DeMonte, the Senior Pastor of Adonai Church, Bangalore. We hope you enjoy this teaching. I'm continuing my teaching from Hebrews chapter 6 verse 1. I'm sorry for all the huge breaks that we've taken in between each doctrine, but we're coming to the end. And this is the second last. Let's refresh your memory by reading from verse 1, Hebrews 6 verse 1. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection of maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance as the first one from dead works, fit towards God the second doctrine, doctrines of baptism which is in the plural, laying on our hands that we covered last time, and this morning, the resurrection of the dead, and the last one will be eternal judgment. Why is the resurrection of the dead such an important foundational doctrine in our lives? It's because when God created us, he created us for eternity. None of us were meant to die. Sin brought death into our lives. And that's why God gave Adam and Eve the choice. It says, don't eat of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you do that, then you will die. Can you imagine? God never intended death for his people. Death did not originate from God. It originated from sin. And so when man sinned, we put ourselves in the enemy's territory, and as the result of sin, Death came into our lives, spiritually as well as physically. When we die, it's our body that perishes, not our spirit. Our spirit is eternal. It'll go on into eternity. In Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7, the Bible says, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit, the human spirit, will return to God who gave it. And that's why at funerals, when a person is laid down in the grave, we take a handful of sand and we say, dust you came and dust you return. You've done that? You've seen that at funerals. We recognize the importance of dust returning to dust, but unfortunately, we don't acknowledge spirit going back to spirit. Two things happen at every funeral. <clears throat> The body returns to dust, and the spirit returns back to God who gave that spirit. In Zechariah chapter 12, verse 1, it says, God who forms the spirit of man in man. So it's God who formed our human spirit. This is why it is important for us to understand what the resurrection of the dead is all about. I'm not talking about Jesus' resurrection. I'm talking about our resurrection. Of course, we'll have to look at his resurrection also. But this teaching, this doctrine, has to do with our resurrection. We were built for eternity. This world is not our home. It's never to be our final destination. There is a life after that. And that's why... When sin separated man from eternity, from living on, the whole world fell into bondage, and as a result, we were destined to die in our sins and face the consequences of it. But God in his goodness, 
chose to send his son Jesus, and this is what it says in John chapter 3, verse 16, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, can you say the word whoever, if you're here this morning, and you've never made this decision, it's speaking to you. Whoever, irrespective of caste and color, background, whoever, believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Perish from what? Perish into eternity. Another word for perishing into eternity, if for those who do not acknowledge Jesus, receive him as their Savior, it's eternity to hell. Now, hell is a real place. We don't hear many messages on hell, but hell is a reality. It's a place of everlasting torment. It's a place which God prepared for Satan and his, and his demons. You see, there are only two kinds of people in this world. The righteous and the unrighteous. The godly and the ungodly. Two kinds of people. The whole world will be separated in these two categories. Righteous and unrighteous. Godly and ungodly. Two. But there is one place what each one of us will go to. You will have to make that choice, either into eternity with God or eternity in hell, in destruction. One place, two kinds of people, one place that we will eventually land up in. And Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41. Then he would say to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into the everlasting. Can you say the word everlasting? Do you know what everlasting means? Everlasting. It, it, it doesn't die down. It's forever and forever and forever flames. It says, be prepared for Satan and his demons. And Jesus again says this in Mark chapter 9, verse 45. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life, that's eternity, lame, rather than having two feet, but to cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched. Two destinations, eternity with God, eternity in the lake of fire. A choice will determine where we will live and spend the rest of our life. And this is the doctrine that establishes this truth not of how, but where we will spend eternity. John 3.16 has an open invitation to all who believe in Jesus will have everlasting life. So on one hand, everlasting life. On the other hand, everlasting fire and destruction. Everlasting is last forever. On the day of resurrection, every single person who has ever lived in this world will be resurrected. Every evil person that ever lived will be resurrected on that day. Both the righteous, unrighteous will be resurrected. That's why the doctrine of this resurrection of the dead is important because it lays the foundation, gives us the assurance of where we're going to spend eternity. Now the Bible gives us a very different perspective on that. And it's good we look at God's perspective. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 20, here is the Apostle Paul talking to the church of the Christians saying, But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits 
of those who have fallen asleep. How many of you recognize falling asleep as dead? Put your hand up. Okay. So often in scripture, death is referred to as falling asleep. You know why the Bible refers to death as falling asleep? Because anyone who sleeps gets up. And God looks at death as falling asleep because in the eyes of God, this is not your final destination. You were not born to live in this world forever and ever. We were born for another world. We were born for a better life than the life that we're living in. Somebody shout an amen. And that's why we must have a perspective of eternity while we live our journey in this world. This is a temporary place and we will see scriptures concerning that. And it says, Christ has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep or died. For since by man Adam came death, by Jesus also came the resurrection of the dead. Adam's sin put us in a place where we'll be eternally lost, separated from God. Everlasting fire. Jesus came, died on the cross, stood in our place, took the penalty of our sin, became our lamb and our sacrifice, so that through Christ we will have everlasting. Can you say the word everlasting? Everlasting life. We sang a song this morning. We are heading for a place where there will be no sorrow. There will be no pain. There will be no tears. It's a place of rejoicing. And we will live in that place forever and forever and forever. You know, when the Bible talks about if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your foot offends you, now don't take that literally. Okay? You know that scripture Jesus is talking about being radical with sin. If you're not radical with sin, you can lose out eternity. And that's a good example. And when I tell people, quit your internet because you're stuck with pornography, I can't. I said, I'm only asking you to quit your, your internet, not cut your hand off. Jesus was more radical than quitting your internet. But you understand the radical approach that Jesus is taking. If your eye offends you, gorge it out. Why? He gives us a perspective of eternity. You see, Jesus is giving us heaven or eternity as our perspective. Don't stop doing what you're doing because your reputation gets spoiled. You stop doing what you're doing because you're messing with God. You're messing with your own life. And above all, you're messing up your life for eternity. Have eternity as your perspective. In the light of eternity, stop what you're doing, which is ungodly. Death is only the means of transition. So you shouldn't be frightened of dying. It's only transition. It's only about closing your eyes on earth to open it in heaven. You like that? You're moving from this world into another world. What a perspective on life. That's why the Bible says we don't mourn like the way heathens or those who do not know Christ mourn. They mourn because it's the last they're ever going to see. For us, we have a hope. We are asleep. And we cry over someone sleeping for so much and for so many years, we don't get over the fact they're sleeping. Let them sleep. You will rest, they will rest. You'll see them later on. Look at another scripture that Jesus refers to death as sleep. Luke chapter 8, verse 52. 
This was a time when Jairus' daughter died. She was dead. People were mourning and weeping and crying. And then Jesus says, she's not dead, but she's asleep. And they all laughed at him. You know why? They couldn't understand how Jesus looked at that so lightly. He says, oh, she's asleep. I'd like to bring your attention to this verse. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her up by the hand and said, my child, get up. Look at this. Her spirit returned. Can you say that? Her spirit returned. You see, when your human spirit leaves you, you're dead. The spirit and the body brings us to life. And so the spirit that left her and departed to God came back to her, and when her human spirit was restored, she came alive. And at once she stood up, then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. The scripture I just spoke about is in James chapter 2, verse 26. The body without the spirit is dead. So we're not just physical beings. We are physical beings, and we also have a spirit. We have a soul. And that's how God created us. Every single individual, whether you recognize it or not, you have a spirit, you have a soul, which is your mind, will, and emotions, and we all, of course, know we have a body. So if we're going to understand what the resurrection of the dead means for us, we must first look at what happened to Jesus at his time of resurrection, because the Bible says he was the first fruits. He was the first one to be raised from the dead and never die after that. A lot of other people were risen from the dead, but they died again. Jesus was resurrected to live on forever and forever. And that's why we sing those songs. We worship him. He's alive right now, and he will continue to be alive. That's what everlasting life is. You know, when you talk about fast fruits, those of you have done some farming, and you grow oranges, the fast fruit gives you the taste of how the rest of the fruits is going to be like. If the first fruit is good, you can look forward to a great harvest of good oranges. The first fruit is an indicator of what the rest of the fruit is going to be like. And the Bible uses that word, the first fruit of being resurrected from the dead and to live on for eternity was Jesus, giving us an example of how the rest of the fruit, you and I, will experience everlasting life. Three things that happened to Jesus when he died. The first one, he committed his spirit to the Father at the time when he was crucified. It says in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, when Jesus died, he cried out with a loud voice saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having then said this, he braided his last. I don't know how many of you have seen anyone die. Death is only a breath that's gone from an individual. They just take a deep breath and they've gone. And I've seen my mother-in-law pass away, my mom pass away, just a breath and life is gone. And Jesus did this at the time when he was crucified. He committed his spirit into God's hands. And that's why it's a good practice to have when someone is dead to hand their spirit over to God and say, God, the spirit of this individual is now with God. If eternity was real, we will stop going to the graves. And we've got to make up our mind, 
whether that loved one is dead in the grave or he's with eternity, with God. If he's with God, you can talk to God. He's there. He's happy. He's not even thinking about you. He or she is not even thinking. They don't even cry about you. They don't even look back and, oh, I've left my poor mom and boy. They're happy there. So when you go to a graveyard, I don't know who you're talking to. And if you want to know more on that subject, come for the conference. I know you may have all your questions now. Was it wrong? Is it wrong? Hey, you know what I've understood? We're always worrying about what is wrong. I want you to think of what is right. Say, I like that. You rather focus on what is right than what is wrong. What is wrong with living a complicated life? If you know what is right, it's far much more easier to exercise discernment. What happened to Jesus' body? His body was put in a tomb. John chapter 19, 40, 41. And they laid his body in a tomb. His body was not cremated. His body was buried. Now you may ask me again, what is wrong in getting cremated? I'm not bothered about what is wrong. I'm bothered about what Jesus did. He is our first fruit. And if he was buried, please, for God's sake, be buried. You know, it's amazing how many of us think of death more than life. And one elderly, precious old lady, she says, I want you to conduct my funeral. And I'm thinking, how would you know whether I conduct it or not? But anyway, I didn't say anything. I said, sure. They wanted me to conduct a funeral, so praise God. The third thing that happened to Jesus, he was resurrected. His resurrection was prophesied in the Old Testament. And this is how the Apostle Paul approaches the subject in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 to 4. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was, what's the word? He was buried. He was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Just as it was said about him, it happened. Verse 5. And after that he was seen by Cephas, after his resurrection. Then by the twelve, and after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at one time, of whom the greater part remain to the present. But some have fallen asleep. Well, what's that speaking about? Dead and gone. After that he was seen by James, and by then all the apostles. The last of all he was seen by me, talking about the, himself, the apostle Paul, one born of the due time. You see, the news of Jesus' resurrection was spreading like wildfire. Can you imagine that when you heard your dad or your mom pass away, and one week later, this is I saw him in the marketplace, what would you be? How would you react? You will look at that person and say, you lost your mind. Did you touch him? Did you ask him his name? And if he's there, why couldn't he have come and seen me? He can't handle it. I want to set the record straight here this morning. Too much of the world is focused on Jesus' death. So much of religious fervor and activity is around the death of Jesus. But the truth of the New Testament is not just in Jesus dying on the cross. It is Jesus alive and seated at the right hand of God forevermore. This is what differentiates us from any other religion. Because we worship a living God. And because he's living, he can speak to you. Because he's alive, he can touch you. He can restore you. He can deliver you. And he can heal you. 
He's alive and he's resurrected. I thought this morning, do you know why we worship God on a Sunday, a celebration? Because it marks the resurrection of Jesus. The first day of the week, he was resurrected. Everything about the church is about his resurrection. And after his resurrection, news was spread. Hey, Jesus is alive. But like any other people, any other community, there will always be a few doubting people. And one person's name is recorded in the Bible. Guess what's his name? Everyone know about Thomas. Sorry, Thomas. This is a resurrected Thomas. One of the disciples called Thomas doubted the resurrection of Jesus and said, unless I see in my hands, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into my hand. He's asking. He's not stopping. He's going for all out. He's not only convinced about the nails in his hands, even at his side. I will not believe. I will not believe. And Jesus appears to him and says, Thomas, reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your hand out here. Put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And then Jesus goes on to say, blessed are those who believe without seeing. And you and I are the blessed ones. We're the blessed ones. We didn't see his nails in his hand, the, the nail marks in his hands, but we believed. The resurrected body of Jesus was a body it could be touched. There is only one thing that's man-made in heaven. Do you know what? The marks of Jesus' nails on his hands, it's in heaven, representing you and representing us. That's his glorified body. Jesus not only manifested himself to the disciples and to the others, he ate with the disciples. And so those of you who are thinking, oh, I'll miss eating, don't worry, you can eat in heaven. And it says he ate after his resurrection. He ate with the disciples in Luke 24, 42, 43. When Jesus was resurrected, he became a complete person. He had a spirit, he had a soul, and he had a resurrected body. Now we look at ourselves. What will happen to us at the time of our resurrection? We looked at the first fruit, Jesus, now let's look at what will happen to us. All those who are righteous, all those who believe in Jesus will go directly to heaven. You don't have to wait for that day. You know it in your heart today. There is an assurance. Eternity is waiting for us. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6 and 8, the Apostle Paul says it, Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. We are limited in the physical body. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Now, the Apostle Paul, his understanding of eternity was so real that he says, look, I'm not going to fuss with heart transplant, liver transplant, leg transplant, brain transplant, and linger on and get all the transplants, and then finally when they squeeze the life out of you, ah, I go to heaven. Now, please, you want to do your transplants, please do it. I'm not undermining that. But when you have a reality of eternity, there's something on the inside of you. Hey, I'm going to a better place. Beyond time, there is a place. There is a place. And that's what the Apostle Paul says. This body is restricting me. But when I'm out of this body, I'm with the Lord. That's the assurance. 
In Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, he says, For I am hard-pressed between the two. I am finding it a struggle. I wish we could have these challenges. I'm struggling. What's a struggle about? Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. He's saying, I'm struggling with this. I want to leave this world and go. How nice it is. You're looking sad at me. You know what? We are so attached to this world, we can't even think of leaving this world. The minute someone says, pray for me, pray for me. You're only sleeping for a short while. Your eyes will open up to a better place. Nice? Those of you, don't be too much in a hurry, okay? We have work to do here. And that's why Paul said this. He says, I'm struggling with this desire. I want to be with the Lord, but I also have a responsibility here. I have a task, I have a mission, I had to fulfill it. Our resurrection, the second one, our resurrection is certain. If we believe in Jesus, we must believe in the resurrection of the dead. Why? Because the resurrection of the dead is part of the gospel. In the early church, or the Corinthian church, there were false teachers who were preaching against the resurrection of the dead and said it was false. And look at how the Apostle Paul tackles that problem. 1 Corinthians 15, 13 to 19. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. You've been talking to someone who's dead. It's empty. Yes, and we have, and we are found false witnesses of God. Because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up. In fact, the dead will not rise. So our guarantee is, if Jesus rose, we will also rise. Rise, because he's our first fruit. Goes on verse 16. If the dead did not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, empty. You're only feeling good, keeping ourselves entertained. And you're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. There's no more hope. If in this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. So if our faith is only earthly bound, if our faith is only about how well I can prosper and how peaceful I can sleep and how healthy I could be in this world, you're most pitied than anyone else. Because every other religion lives in the same perspective to be blessed on earth. And I feel there's been a paradigm shift. In the olden days, they would only sing songs of there's a mansion beyond the hilltops. How many of you know that? There were songs that were composed. They would take great comfort that this hope was that this place was a temporary place and the eternity was waiting for them. And then we got a revelation. Hey. God not only wants us to have a better life there, he wants us to have a better life here, and that's true. But you know what? We're so focused on the better life here, we've forgotten the life after that. We need to bring the two together. Yes, that's a reality, and this is a reality. As much as this is a reality, eternity is a reality. You were born for eternity. Can you say that after me? I was born for eternity. That's what that's where, that's how God created us. That's where we belong for eternity. I will show you. You see, for many Christians, 
The life starts here on earth and ends on earth. You know what the Bible says to those Christians? You're the most pitiful person. You're living life in a very sad way. The resurrection of the dead can be for Christians either their greatest joy or their worst nightmare because you will be resurrected. Tell someone next to you, good or bad, you will be resurrected. You can't escape that. Let's look at some of the questions concerning the resurrection of the dead. And this is what the Apostle Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 15, addressing the questions. And look at the practical questions. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Two questions they were asking. How will it happen? And second, what kind of body we will have when we're raised up? How will it happen? I enjoyed the worship evening. Those of you who missed it, you're missing it. Never miss the worship evenings. Non-stop, two and a half to three hours just worshiping God. Didn't want it to end. And I thought to myself, everything about our salvation is a miracle. Can you imagine how your spirit that was dead came alive when you accepted Christ? You cannot. Everything about our Christian life is a miracle. The day you were born again is a miracle. The fact you're still saved is a miracle. The fact that God healed you and delivered you is a miracle. So let the miracle remain the miracle. How will it be done? The way it happened to Jesus, it will happen to us. What kind of body we will have? Now here it takes time to explain the body. He says this to them, O foolish one. What you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. So that is compared to a seed that is sown. You take a seed, there's nothing attractive about a seed. And you take that seed and plant it in the ground, but when it comes up, it takes a different form. It has a different appearance, and it's far more glorious than what it was in seed form. Am I right? Your life is nothing but a seed. And Jesus spoke of his life like a seed. Unless a man, you know, falls like a seed in the ground, it will not be raised up. Your life is a seed. And so when your life is sown in that ground, I'm yet to see farmers crying, I'm putting my seed in, putting my seed in, putting my seed Oh, I lost so much of seed, it's all in the ground. And go back and visit it and cry over the land and say, I put my seed in. You see farmers doing that? They sow the seed and they're waiting for harvest time. That should be your experience like that. You put a seed there and say, I'm waiting to see this guy in eternity. Hope, hope, it's a seed. Your life is a seed. It's sown one way, resurrected another way. 1 Corinthians 15, 39, 40. All flesh is not the same flesh. But there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of animals, another of fish, another of birds. All have different flesh, different bodies. But there are also celestial, that means heavenly bodies. And there is terrestrial, that's earthly bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. So what is he saying? When we're resurrected, we'll have a heavenly body. Just like as, as birds have a different body, 
animals have a different body. People in the flesh have a different body. You will have a resurrected body, a different body. That's the kind of body we will have. There are five visible changes that will take place in our bodies after resurrection. Five visible changes. We will be sown in corruption and be raised as incorruptible. 1 Corinthians 15, 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. With all its fragility and weaknesses. But it will raise it incorrupted. Never die. Everlasting. No decay. Nothing. Sowed in dishonor. But raised in honor. 1 Corinthians 15, 43. It is sown in dishonor. Raised in glory. Sown in weakness. Raised in power. There is no glory in a dead corpse. But there's glory when it's resurrected. It's sown in weakness and limitation in our bodies, but it's raised in power which is unlimited. Luke chapter 24, 38 to 39. Jesus said to the, his disciples and the people there, Why are you troubled? Why do your doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet. That is, I myself, handle me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. And so Jesus is saying, why are you doubting my resurrection? It's a different body. Touch and see, it's a different body. From a soulish body, we will have a spiritual body. 1 Corinthians 15, 44. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is also a spiritual body. As long as we live here on earth, it's a natural body. When we are resurrected, we will have a spiritual body. The natural body is adaptable to the environment of this natural world. Your spiritual body will be adaptable to the spiritual environment in that world. From mortality to immortality, we'll have a body that will be never subject to decay or to death. Philippians chapter 3, 20, 21. For our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies. Talking about our earthly bodies, he will transform it, that it may be conformed to his glorious body. There's a transition, earthly body to a glorious body. Now look at the reality of what our lives here are on earth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know... That if our earthly house, this tent, which tent? Body. You know, right through scripture, God looks at our bodies as a house, as a tent, for a purpose. And he says here, for we know in our earthly house, not the one you stay in Cockstone and Lingrajpuram or Malishwaram, it's this house, the body. We know we live in this earthly body, the tent is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands. Eternal in the heavens. That's not your mansion. It's your body. For in this we groan. Earnestly desiring to be clothed with our, with our habitation which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed we shall not be found naked. Look at this punchline. Verse 4. For we who are in this tent groan. Can you see as we age the groaning happening? Uh, back is paining, knee paining, head paining, this pressure going that way, that blood going the other way. You know what? 
There is a time where every elderly person, there's a groaning. We get tired. We get limited. You know what that groaning is? You're tired of this tent. You lived in this house for so long, and your spirit is groaning and saying, hey, I'm tired of living this house. How many of you are ready for change? Don't put your hand up. I'll have to have a resurrected service after this. You see, when I hear older people groan, I realize there's something happening. The real you is not your physical body. The real you is your spirit being. That's the real you. And it says here, in this tent we groan. Why? Being burdened. Not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. What life? Everlasting life. That we change our house when someone dies. I remember preaching this at the funeral. There is only a change of address. From this address, you have an eternal address. From this body to that body. Sown in corruption, raised in glory. There's a groaning. To be further clothed for eternity. I don't know whether we'll have the same height and same weight. But all I know is you wouldn't need beauty treatment. You wouldn't need to visit a parlor. You will look beautiful and gorgeous. Because you'll have a glorified body. And all the ladies say... And the men must be saying, thank God. You see, Jesus had a resurrected body. He could enter closed doors. He could just turn up and that's the power of the resurrected body. It's unlimited. Unlimited to space and time. Glorified. It's powerful. I wish somewhere living on earth when the resurrection happened, I would come and visit them. Surprise! Won't happen. All will be resurrected. The resurrection of the dead will be our day of reckoning. When I say our day of reckoning, it will be a day of settling accounts. And this is what Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Two places, but only one you will land up in. And this is the words of Jesus. Everyone will be resurrected. The only difference is one will go to the resurrection of life and the other to the resurrection of condemnation. Two categories. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 to 9. This apostle Peter highlights what will happen. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, we see that in heaven, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, which he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah. Can you see the judgment and the protection of Noah and the preacher of righteousness and seven others? If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawlessness, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and he heard, and it represents the generation we're living in, tormented by the lawlessness around us. Verse 9, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, and to hold the unrighteous to punishment on the day of judgment. 
The hope of our resurrection should be our motivation of how we live our lives here on earth. And that's why this doctrine is important. When we live with eternity as our perspective, it will determine how we live every day of our lives on this earth. None of us were there when Jesus was born in a small town of Bethlehem. We were not there when Jesus hung on that cross for the world at that time to see. We were not there when Jesus was resurrected. But there is one thing each and every one of us can be assured of. We will all be there at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and at the resurrection of saints. We will be there for that one main event. The child you lost will be there. The dad, the mom, the loved ones will be there. We will all be there to witness the resurrection of the dead. Cemeteries will no longer be cemeteries. They will be turned into harvest fields because the dead in Christ will be resurrected. The resurrection of the dead will determine for every Christian where will you spend eternity. This is how the Apostle Paul says it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8 to 11. I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, whom I have suffered the loss of all things, counted them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in him in Christ, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. Then in verse 11, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. And so that's why the Apostle Paul's motivation is saying, I take all these challenges willing to go through all of these sufferings and hardships that I may attain the resurrection of the dead. That one day was his motivation. Thank you for listening to this message. To know more about us, please visit www.adonai-ministries.com.